Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's springtime, finally. It's a time for renewal and letting go. And one of my favorite things to do is to open my closet and get tossing. I let go of so many things that don't serve me and don't reflect who I am anymore. I make space. And guess what? You can do this with your inner closet as well, as we say in yoga. Relationships, patterns, habits that you have outgrown that don't serve you, well, you get to toss those too. You get to make space inside of your spirit and you get to decide what you're going to fill it with. It is very powerful, but it's It's not always easy because growth is sometimes challenging, but it is always good. And BetterHelp can help. A good therapist can give you tools to explore yourself. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can speak with someone in under 48 hours. Right now, Stages podcast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So giddy up, get clearing. We have had so many of our listeners take advantage of BetterHelp, and we really thank you because when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash Stages. Get tossing, start growing, and happy spring. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast. Where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. You're this fine. is a brand new iPad and it's all kind of wonky. The more it, my camera is zooming in and out. That's it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whoa, my camera's wonky. <laughs> this <laughs> very fancy I camera. I don't know what's happening with my camera here. Is Ron um, Howard behind that uh, camera yeah, right now like directing right you? Now, yeah. <laughs> Stop it, Ron. That's not funny. Okay, we have the coolest guest ever on the show today. He is an actor, a stunt double, a stunt coordinator, and a movement coach. He portrays creatures and animals for film and television. This is the guy that you would find in the Lycra bodysuit covered in electrodes standing in front of a green screen so that the computer can capture all of his movements. He has worked with some of the greatest directors of our time, Ron Howard, Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, James Cameron, and more. And he infuses their films with his unique brand of choreography and motion capture performance. He coached the Who's of Whoville in the movie How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He created the movements and the fight scenes for the Planet of the Apes series, the Hobbit trilogies, Lovecraft Country, the Avengers movies. The list just goes on and on. He starred in Cirque du Soleil, performed at the Metropolitan Opera, and he is also married to an old friend of mine and Stephanie's. <laughs> That's Will right. Rogers Follies. Hi, Rhonda. Please <laughs> welcome Terry Notary. Terry Notary to stage, please. Can we have Terry to stage? Uh, thank Hi, you. Terry. Thank Gosh. you so Hi. much for coming on. Thank you. It's so cool. I'm so glad that I got to do this. And Rhonda's all excited about it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. Well, you guys must have a lot to talk about because you both are, you know, artists in your body. Your tool is mm-hmm. your body. Reading your resume and your bio <laughs> on Wikipedia and watching your work, my first thing was. How many hours of physical therapy has this man (laughs) been in? I don't know. I don't know much about the stunt life or about creating a a creature character Mm. with your body for camera. It's funny because the older I get, I'm 53 now, and my body's not the same as when I was 23. But um, it's one of those things where the older you get, the wiser you get, and the more, Mm. more 
able you are to sort of be intelligent in the way you treat your body. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 23 in Cirque, I was just abusing myself. You know, I was just throwing, throwing my body around and thinking, you know, I'm invincible. And um, you, you are pretty much at that age, but then you start to realize that it's, you know, you don't need to use effort like you used to. And effort is one of the things that when I, when I work with actors, I work a lot about effort on effort and, and undoing effort because we try, we do too much. We always, we always use too much effort as human beings. We have to get back to that state of grace where it's, things are easy because we, we tend to think that things are more difficult than they really are. So we put the effort in them according to how difficult we think it is. Yeah. It's control so, versus flow. Control exactly. versus flow. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I, I learned so much of that from, from working with two chimpanzees. Jacob and Jonah, and just watching them and, and, and going, wow, look how easy everything is for them. There's no threshold of effort where that where they check and 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 balance and, and decide if it's okay. You know, they just they just do it. And so it's easy. And so they they're in that state of optimal performance, which I call it when I work with actors. I, we always try to get into that. You call it flow or optimal state of performance. Um, where the mind body are connected and, and there's not, the mind tends to want to be the boss and tends to want to boss the body around and tell it what to do. And, and that's when discoordination happens because connection is not happening correctly. It's not a soft connection between the two of them. And so the older you get, the more you, you start to understand that be making things easy, things easy is actually the best way, the, mo the best methodology for, for being efficient and, and being gentle to yourself. Uh, you don't have to be hard on yourself. And we're trained as, you know, ever since we're kids, you know, when you're five years old and you're dreaming out into the, into the stars and you know, the clouds, watching them shift and move and, and being creative, people go, oh, that's beautiful. Look how beautiful that child is. And then, you know, when you hit about seven, eight years old, the people tell you to stop daydreaming because it gets yeah. work, you know? Yeah. And so we're rewarded for effort. And so, yeah. you know, well, okay, if I, if I grimace and I use tension and and I show that I'm working really hard I get rewarded okay yep. well that's my reward system okay um, I'm gonna I'm gonna operate like that and so we've become trained into thinking that effort is good effort is something that is going to give us what we need and we're all searching for love right so you get love from that so that's what you do yeah. uh, what we really need to do as human beings and what I teach when I work with in my workshops is, is undoing that, going back to the simplicity, getting back to the basics, getting back to just being present. Presence is all knowing. There's a knowingness, not a knowing in facts, not a knowing in knowledge per se. Like it's it's just there's a there's a knowingness in the presence. When right. you really know something, then then you're extremely intelligent. Then then that's where your intelligence comes. There's an Einstein quote, and he says, our mind is a faithful servant mm. and our intuitive mind in our body the knowing inside of us is a sacred gift and yes. we've become a society that worships the servant and throws away the gift yes yeah exactly it's 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 like getting back to um undoing and trusting that that is okay because it feels like you're doing nothing. And all of a sudden your mind goes, oh, wait a minute, I, I got I to gotta be in charge. I got to know, I got to categorize. I got to figure out, I got to figure out the difference between me and everything else in the world. I got to I gotta figure out my identity and, and I need categories. I need everything to be defined. Well, and you also and, get your head into the, how is it supposed to 
be done? How am I supposed to do this? What's the correct way? When sometimes just listen to your own flow and that's the correct way, right? It's being instead of doing, being instead of doing. And you know, the, the camera will pick that up. And we always get these notes of, make it smaller, right? All these Mm -hmm, terms mm -hmm. that we've heard being directed by a casting director or a director, make it more Mm -hmm. internal. Let it just be the eyes. Now on stage, we can't do that. But on camera, it's got to happen internally and it's smaller because that camera picks up everything. So how do you, as an artist that's making these creatures, whether they're otherworldly with Avatar or these chimps or apes, how do you still find the humanity and the being of it instead of the doing of it? It always does boil down to the subtleties. It really does. Because a lot of times when actors come in and they go, okay, well, what do I do? Show me what I should do. You know, and it's like, okay, first of all, we're going to undo everything first. We're going to yeah. start with a neutral body. We got to undo. We got to sort of clean what I call the, the the blueprint. The blueprint is the is the product of your history, your successes, your failures, your everything that's happened to you has created a, a reactionary system in your in your being, right? So right. you how you behave and how you react to certain stimulus is is a product of many things, but your blueprint. But I remember yeah, hearing no. once that every injury we've ever had, even like a stub toe or a yeah. finger slammed in a car door, your body has a memory for mm. that injury and is always trying to avoid it from yes. ever happening again. So it changes right. your gait. It changes the way you That's right. open a door or close a door. Yes. So when we're, when we're, when I first start working with an actor, I'll sit him in a chair and just have him breathe, sit there and just, I just want to see them drop into being present and undo it. I want to see the mind go like it, it sits in a hammock where it just drops in and you allow the mind to go. Okay. The mind is going to sit there and it's going to become three-dimensional. It's called getting out of the two-dimensional body, which is the awareness of yourself and the awareness of everything that you're doing. So the direction of yourself through life versus transcending past the two-dimensional self and dropping into a three-dimensional self. You realize that everything is connected. And it's, yeah. it's really super important for people to understand that concept before they start acting. Because when actors understand that they're part of this whole thing, then they're listening to everything that's going on rather than coming in. I got my lines. They have their lines. I'm going to say my lines this way. I hope it matches. You know, when they transcend, then your energetic body listens and it can receive and emit energy. Because all we do is receive and emit energy. We're just 99.999% energy. And when you understand that concept of energy, then you can understand how the subtleties of that energy read and everyone feels it. Everyone sees it, but you can't define what it is. You can't, you can't categorize it. So people can't go, Oh, he's doing the energy thing. Like, like, you know, like Robert Redford used to do. No, no, you're, you're manipulating the energy in your body so that you can change the frequencies in the room. (laughs) And it's really strange, but people feel that on camera. You gave me a new visual that I have never heard. The idea of having your mind in a hammock. Mm. I have never, ever heard that. And that's almost like the source. If you start there with your mind in a relaxed and comfortable position, then everything else seems to follow suit. That's right. Yeah. And and when you learn how to do that, then when when tension comes in, (gasps) the habit, the habitual self goes... I want to, I want to figure this out. I'm going to, where yeah, you really control. just have to go. Okay. 
I'm going to allow myself because you don't want to feel fear. You don't want to feel fear. Fear is pain. And we try to avoid pain. And so what it does is you allow yourself to soften, become three-dimensional, and then you feel things. I'm going to assimilate that. And you realize I was giving that feeling a lot of power by trying to avoid it. And when I don't try to avoid it, I can turn it into energy. I can turn it into something that is proactive and productive. And so when you learn how to, I call it recycling of energy, I, I feel something and I want to, my tendency is to go, no, I'm not feeling that. Well, what's going to happen is it's going to build up and it's going to become more powerful and it's going to crush and crash down and it's going to make true the fear that I had. Yeah. And so that's the worst plight of an actor, a performer, an athlete, a businessman. So what you do is you go, I'm feeling that feeling. I'm going to allow that feeling to wash through me and I'm going to understand what it is and understand that it doesn't have any significance. And I'm going to translate that into energy that is focused. Did you start to become aware of this sort of practice in practicality, you know, in the world of stunts? Yeah. Well, when I was a, when I was a kid, I was very in my head. I was hyperactive all over the place, very point to point, very broken in my thought process. I did gymnastics and pretty talented kid as far as gymnastics and, and my abilities but my one Achilles heel was that I got in my head when I was competing. I was thinking about not being deducted for the mistakes that I was making rather than performing to be seen for my talent, right? And so I was trying not to make mistakes. And I got in my head that way and, and it made me, it, it made it difficult for me to compete. The whole revelation for me was when I was in Cirque, when I joined Cirque, it was right after gymnastics at UCLA. It was my, after my senior year, I was like, I want to know what I'm going to do. And then Cirque called me and said, you want to come join us? I said, I'll come to the audition. And I did. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm doing this. And it, tra it truly transformed my life. It changed me forever. It gave me a foundation of like, oh, I am going to perform to show and to share what I can do, my talents versus seeing them as judging me mm -hmm. and trying to not make a mistake. And so it just went, that shift just went poof. And it was like an epiphany. Yeah. And it made me go, that's what it means to be an artist, to undo the mind, the mental noise and the fear of making a mistake. When I figured that out, I was like, I became such a better gymnast. I could, I would have been way better gymnast if I had I known what I knew in Cirque when I was in gymnastics. And so that, that was really the the moment where I felt it, I never knew I was going to be teaching actors and playing characters in movies and stuff like that. That was a, a foundation that I had to have for my transition into film. What was it that Cirque taught you that was so transformational? I mean, how did they lay that foundation for you? Franco Dragon, the director, came in and said, I want you to be like a baby. I want you to be born again here now. Forget everything you know forget everything. And I was like, I really took that to heart. And he made us all stripped down into our underwear. And this is the oh, first day. Oh, golly. I don't and know if that would work in this yeah, climate. But we were, he said, now cradle each other like baby. So I, here I am cradled up against this big Russian dude, Andre Skorobogatov. <laughs> and we're sweaty and gross. And I think he just like smoked a cigarette and ate a you know, steak sandwich for lunch and had wine the night before. And I was just like, wow. And I went for it and he went for it. And we were just like, get out of your head and it's okay. 
That's yeah. Cirque in and of itself. You walk into that tent and it you have entered a different world. It sounds like Frank Dragon is very much of that strip away the world and let's become something that has never been created before. And that commitment, you have to commit a hundred percent to what you're doing. If you're playing a human, that's one thing, right? But if you're playing a creature or an animal or a character that have never existed before and you break that commitment, even for a hot second, then the magic is gone. So talk about that commitment. Well, because I call it home. I call that home. When you find home for your character. When I'm working with actors, I go, you just found your home. I feel like I can just be there. I can just be there and not be doing something. That's when you know you found your character. When you, when you can stop trying to play the character, trying to do what the character would do. When you go, this is what the character does when he's doing nothing. It's Mm -hmm. simple. And this is how simple it is. And then it's like, then you don't have to do anything. Then you can just play. And then you can always come home and just go, there it is, you know? And then you can think and listen and give moments of repose. And you can start to play the layers and the dimensions of the character by, by, you know, playing from the back body, playing from the mid body, playing from the front body, going into third dimension where you forget yourself, going inside into the memories of the past, you know? And then you can, you can just play in the range and know that it's safe because that's your home. And when actors find it, it's like, okay, now I can start learning my lines Mm -hmm. and now I can start playing with whatever happens and not worry Mm -hmm. because I always know that I'm safe and I'm, I know who I am. I know what the character is. A lot of that is, it takes time to get there because you come in and you're like, I've got 20 things that I know the character is going to be, and it's going to be this. And you know, um, uh, I think he's going to move like this. And I really want to do this little quirk. And, uh, okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Throw it all away. <laughs> what? What? But I'm good at that stuff. So we're going to sit in a chair. We're going to get, we're going to go to a neutral body and we're going to see what happens. We're going to make all kinds of mistakes, do all the wrong things. And then you go, oh my God, what did you just do? What do you mean? That? What was that? That was beautiful. Put it in a thing. Put it in a pile. But pretty soon you got all these little gems that you're working with and you're like, mm-hmm. Ooh, that's good. We're going to explore that. We're going to explore that. We're going to explore that. And the next thing you know, you're creating a character that you never ever thought of that is way better than something mm-hmm. that was predictably what you were mm-hmm. thinking. You limited yourself coming in that way. Now you're expanding yourself as an actor. You're doing something you've never done before and you're creating it for, for real. You're really creating something mm-hmm. rather than, creating something in your mind and then trying to mimic that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the plight of a lot of actors. I've worked with many actors that come in and they're really good. They've got an award for this thing. And it's really hard to, to like, to go, okay, everybody loves me for this. And I'm famous for this. I'm scared to like do something different. Yeah. That's the safety net. Sure. Yeah. That's not your talent. Those are your tricks. Right. Have you studied the chakras? No. Because most of what you were talking about when we were talking about the mind-body connection and allowing energy to come in, it is the chakras are the way that we receive, process, and transmit energy because that's mm-hmm. all that we are. It's all that anything is. So when we understand our chakra system, our body's energy system with the seven major chakras, when, when you look at whatever it is, you, you look at it as energy instead of a thing. Mm. 
And right. it's also about when you said, when you understand that you can change the vibration of yeah. where you're going. And that's mm-hmm. the chakra five, that's the throat chakra. So it literally, mm. it lifts the vibration. And the way I always explain it to people is, let's say you are at the checkout in a grocery store and the girl behind the counter is in a rotten mood and she grunts at you. <laughs> you have a choice in that moment, right? So you can either lower your vibration to meet hers, right? Or you can decide I'm going to raise the vibration of the entire situation. And you say something like, you have really beautiful eyes. Did anybody ever tell you that? And you watch, right. boom, the energy just goes yes. and it yep. raises the vibration up to this yes. other place. And so what people Compassion. don't realize is, yeah, we can do it for the world around us, but you can also do it in, within yourself. And so what yes. you're teaching is literally a 5,000 year old system of energy. That's the mm. chakra system. It's what you're teaching in a modern day way. It's really amazing. Mm. But it's an elevated way of thinking, which makes it an elevated way of creating and an elevated way of being. You proved your point when I come at you with a question about commitment, which again, can be um, synonymous with effort. And you countered it with home, which is easy and breath and comfortable. Coming at anything with more of an ease and more of a being than a doing. But to get there, to get home, it does take an awareness. How did the discipline of being such a high-level athlete, because you were a very high-level athlete. I mean, you were on your way to the Olympics, really. You were the captain of the UCLA uh, NCAA team. I mean, you were really at the top, top of your game. How did the discipline of being that high-level athlete translate onto a movie set? You need a foundation of technique. You do. And then you need to let it go. And you need to that foundation of technique to just be, I don't want to call forgotten, but just in your body and right. innate, innate in you. Right. And right. so that when that technique is innate in you, then all that memory, all that muscle memory is, is going to work for you while you're undoing the mind telling you what to do. Every time we do something di- that we think is difficult, there's a threshold of effort that lies before us. And what that does is it makes you two-dimensional. It stops you and it throws you into a two-dimensional tensions. And then you have to undo that, recalculate, and then soften again in order to accomplish it. But you've already given a hiccup to the, to the flow of the effort of that, of that moment. I bet That's you right. could speak or a lot about mental advocacy with the gymnasts that we just saw in these last summer Olympics and oh, yeah. how getting in your head truly can be um, life or death with some of yeah, these it's, routines it's so and, much... and disciplines. Gymnastics is very, very regimented. It's very uh, almost military in its, in its approach and it's technical and this and that stick, you know, you got to land it and you know, you're totally hyper aware of yourself. Um, as it, at least I was and as a gymnast. And I felt that that was the case with a lot of the girls in the gymnastics team in the Olympics because of the pressure that they had with needing to win the gold medal and, you know, what was going to happen and, and all the drama. And it, it, the drama became bigger than what they were really doing. That's another point. When you realize that all you're doing is just being present and showing your vulnerability as an actor people can vicariously live through you as an actor when you when you're when you're vulnerable and open and honest and you need that as an athlete you need that vulnerability to to sort of express yourself completely when you're being subject to 
a lot of external influences and you allow those influences to affect you, well, then you're just performing out of fear and that doesn't bring out the best in you. I feel like we start kids so young now into sports. And in my opinion, we just put too much pressure on them and they have games on Mother's Day weekend and holiday weekends, and there's no time for family gathering. And I feel like what we're teaching them is the most important thing is winning your sport and being the best at your sport. And I feel like we burn them out at a very young age because of it. And that also plays into what you were saying earlier, we're taught you know, focus and, and do the hard thing and they get rewarded for the sacrifice, the hard work. So I feel like we're teaching them that the outcome of your endeavor is far more important than the human connections and the joy of the sport. You know, the trophy is more important than the joy of doing. You have to win. You have to be the best. Yeah. And And then when you, when you have that, you're, you talk about discipline you know, sacrifice and all these things. Well, when you're living in in that state, when you're working in a state where you're you're present and you're in the moment, well, time doesn't feel like it's hard work because right. it's all about time. Like I've been working for six hours, four hours, how many hours am I? You know, it, it, this is hard. This is, you know, but I'm doing it because I have to. When you're in it and you're enjoying it, it's like, oh my gosh, how did six hours just go by? Yes. This doesn't feel like work. It's not work. Yeah. So the work disappears, right? And the effort disappears, the, 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 the need to, to be disciplined. And the, it, just, it, it just happens because you enjoy it. And that's, you know, you do have to get up in the morning and go, okay, where am I? Here we go. Mm-hmm, I didn't yeah, want to mm-hmm. get up, but I'm up and now mm-hmm. I'm ready to go. And then the next thing you know, you just get in it and, and you know, you have your up yeah. days and your down days and all that. But, but um, it's the when yin you're, and yang of finding that perfect balance between yeah. discipline and hard work and yeah joy and connection. And you can't, you can't only live in the joy and connection and free flow. You have to have the discipline. It has to be a perfect yin yang of balance of the two things. Yeah. Tell us what it looks like on a set. You arrive and you're going to be a character from Avatar. Is it all green screen? Just talk us through what that magical experience that very few of us would know anything about. Just give us an insight if you would. Well, I mean, they're all so different, but say, you know, you come onto a a, a set um, that is like Avatar, you would be amazed at how ugly the room is that you're in. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this old empty warehouse and a bunch of cameras around you and you're wearing a mocap suit and you're imagining this amazing world because, you know, Jim Cameron's showing you like, oh my God, this is what you're looking at. Wow. So you have to imagine that world and you have to bring that world to life and see things flying for real. And it's a tennis ball on sticks and guy running across. And, and so when you're working in an environment like that, it takes a lot of creativity to sort of disappear into your imagination, which is really kind of fun. Before you saw what Avatar actually became, can I ask yeah. what you thought that ecosystem was going to look like and the colors mm. and whatnot? So well, you're there with the tennis ball and a stick, but yeah. you're seeing what? Jim is so, he does so much research and he had it all the way down to the fauna and the flora and the, everything, how this plant reacted to this plant and why they were integrated. And it was was my job to sort of help him create the culture of this care of these characters. Mm-hmm. So I studied Native Americans and the how they how they relate to the world and, the, and how they're connected to the earth and 
how they were, how the synergy and, and, and connection to nature. And, and so I was thinking, oh, how do I make this work? How do I integrate these characters? They're one with nature. They're, they flow, they ebb and flow. And there's, they leave a shallow footprint or a no footprint at all. And they, they, they bend with the bow of the tree. And, and then you have the humans coming in and they crush and break and there's angles and there's harsh and they, they're, they're cerebral and they get and take. The whole message of the film, I thought, was getting back to just being connected, you know, to everything and knowing that we're all connected to everything, right? But back to your point on what I thought, thought the world was like, he goes, this is what you're looking at. And you're looking at a waterfall and a thing and you had a pretty good idea, but you had to like go, okay, now that bird is now now the tennis ball comes out because you know the visuals are gone. But so you're privy to the designs. You understand, yes. okay? So the three dimensional world that he drives you through, and he shows you where you're going to go, mm-hmm. and he shows you the vista, and it's like it, it's amazing. It's all you know. It's all in real time as you're going. And we had talked years ago about getting you to Rwanda to see the gorillas because yes. you were going. You were just about to go on to play King Kong. Yes. So. Talk to me a little bit about King Kong and how you prepped for that. And when you indeed are going to come with me to Rwanda to see the gorillas for real. I want to come to Rwanda so bad. And I, <laughs> I want to talk about that because the, I'm going to do a docu-series and we're going to go save some apes. And so it's oh, well, it'll all fit. I think it'll all tie in really well. Yes, we so, really need to meet up yes. and do this together. Yeah. Yes. But Back to your question about about King Kong. When I read the script, I was thinking, okay, well, what is this character? Who is this? You know, and it, it dawned on me that it's it's this little fourteen year old kid. <laughs> I just played a fourteen year old kid oh, that wow. was protecting his his family and had to grow up before his time. And it, he was so burdened with with responsibility and and just weighted with all of this heaviness that. I felt this triangle of energy. This was how I played the characters. It was a triangle of energy that was drawing him down. It was drawing down, always just boom. So it was always this pulling down energy. And, and but, but living back here at the same time. And then slowly he started to find himself mm. and mature enough because he had to and, that, and started to find the man in himself. And, and, and that was the process of that character. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a 14 year old boy that I was playing. Really. It was really kind of, you think about it, it's kind of strange, but with the weight of the world on his shoulders. No, it's a really cool insight, but, actually. I very love that cool. Insight. Very cool. How did this um, all start for you? How did you end up? I think your, was your first movie, The Grinch That Stole Christmas with uh, Ron yes. Howard? So how yes. did that even begin for you? How did you go from Cirque okay. du Soleil into this amazing career that you've developed? Well, Rhonda and I were moved to New York after Cirque. And um, I, was doing a, I was doing some circus shows in New York. And then Ron Howard's people called me and said, hey, do you want to work on a movie? And uh, it was said, a cold call like that. It really was, it was just a cold yeah, call. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was, and then they said, send a tape, you know, send a tape of your stuff, what you do. And so I sent them some stuff on some gymnastics, old VHS tape, you know, and some commercials that I did for Levi's. And they were like, you got the job. Come on out. You're coming out in two months if you want. And it's going to be six months. Um, we're going to put you up in a, an apartment. And I looked over at Rhonda and I said, want to leave New York? And she said, yeah, let's go. And so we did. And he said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to play in Whoville, come up with as many cool things as you can. It was me and four other guys from Cirque. So it was a little team, video, everything. 
And at the end of the week, edit it down and we'll put the cool things in the movie. And I'm like, oh, great. okay, cool. So we had a whole month to do that. And so we played for a whole month and came up with all these things and just videoed and showed him all this stuff. And he's just such a great guy. And just, oh, this is great. Keep going, keep going. And uh, we were doing teeterboard and rolling down, going downstairs and tumbling down and carrying presents. And then the extras started coming in, people from circus, from circus world. And they were all kind of doing their different things. And like, I'm going to play this. I'm going to do this. And I, I've been thinking about the movement and how they should move. And I was like, we well, guys, we should all come up with a common denominator on movement so that it all feels like they come from the same gene pool. A right? who and language. Then, and then we you needed a who language. Yeah. Yeah. We needed a foundation of what, what it was. So, and, then, and then we could all go off and do your own thing and become your own character. And I started just teaching them. And I didn't know it wasn't my job to do that. I was like, you know, it's, in circus, you just help everybody. Everybody helps everybody. Uh, and so we were working and Ron Howard walked by and he goes, you know, I was like, oh, he's teaching, uh, teaching some movement. You know? uh, and so he's like, have him come into my office. And I thought, everyone's like, ooh, dude, you might be fired. I'm like, really? <laughs> I haven't even started. I was just and trying so to I was be like, helpful. Oh man, I'm got fired. And he, and he said, no, I want you to, I, I loved what you're doing. I saw it. I loved it. I want you to teach the whole cast. And so he said, why don't we create Who School for you? Tell me what you uh. need. And so make a list of all the things you need. And I just made this stupid list, conveyor belts, spring floor, <laughs> you know, unicycles, trampolines, blah, blah, blah. all of it was there in a week. I was like, they must have a lot of money. This is crazy. I can't believe they put everything on the list in here. And they gave me a whole soundstage who school began and it was it. Wow. And after that movie, thing. It was cool. And so after that film, a producer called and said, can you do ape school? Like you did who school? us so i said yeah i can do that i was like i better learn some learn start learning about apes you know and uh so that's when i got into the ape thing and i, I got to work with two chimpanzees and i learned so much and that was really one of those things where i was like i had a moment i had an epiphany with with this chimpanzee jacob and he ran into my arms and he looked into my eyes mm-hmm. and we had this like insane connection it was like he looked right into my soul and i looked right into his and and i got scared and i went oh you know it was intense. Yeah. And uh, I pulled away and he, and he went, where'd you go? And he looked into my eyes and he pulled my head up and he tried to look into my eyeballs to see where I went. Wow. And I was like, so I tried to come back. I was like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And he couldn't find me again. And I was like, I have to figure out what just happened here. That was intense. I need to figure out who I am and why I just got scared about showing who I was. And now this baby is trying to tell me you're gone. What am I? Who am I? What is this? And so that set me off on this whole thing. Like, what does it mean to be human? And, and that was just a groundbreaking moment for me when I said, when he, I said, okay, why did I get afraid of being seen? seen. What am I? What is that? What mm. is that? And that's what I teach now. And you should undoing that fear and allowing yourself to be seen, allowing yourself to, to open and be vulnerable because we're taught that vulnerability is weakness, but vulnerability is truly strength. It's what makes you get its gravitas. It gives you the gravitas, it gives you the ability to know it gives you power. It gives you thickness. It gives you all these amazing, amazing attributes that just embellish characters so much that you can't, teach unless you know what that is and that and knowing what that is requires undoing and so when I work with actors and I I, we get to that undoing state I go I just become a witness you're doing it they're like I know 
It's incredible to me that oh you were you were a teacher or professor for Who School and mm-hmm. Ape School. And then it was a chimp, Jacob, who took you to human school. That's and you right. had to figure out what it was to be a human. Because right. where was Jacob? Was he in a zoo? It was Jacob and Jonah. They were four-year-old twins. And they and were, were coming they? on to, um, to play Mark Wahlberg's chimp in the film. So and they were brought in. They were brought in. Yeah, they were brought in. So now I think they're in a sanctuary somewhere. But on that note, I'm going to be doing a docu-series because I've always said, I've always gone to productions and I've always wanted to say that here we are. I've done four Planet of the Apes films and a King Kong film and another ape film. We have to save an ape. We have to do something to get back, right? And so I'm, I'm teaming up with Red Bull and we're talking about really really amazing series that we're going to do. And um, we're going to do some big things for apes. I'm really excited about it. That is exciting. Are you doing this in Rwanda? I don't know where we're going yet, but we're going to save chimps, (laughs) orangutans, and gorillas. And so that's, that's the mission. And, and it's all about finding out what it means to be human. And as we find out what it means to be human, we realize that we have so much to learn from apes and -hmm. how that connection is. And that's a whole nother podcast, Terry. You and Mary Lee can talk about this. Yes, yes, yes. No, do not get me started because the episode will be 10 hours long. But I did want to ask you about um, the coaching sessions that you do. Uh, Are they open to just uh, we regular people or do you only hold them on movie sets? Because I want to take one. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I would over COVID, I was really, I, I started a whole exercise company called Quadrifit. It's it's all about undoing effort and we get on arm extensions and we we move. And we it's all cross lateral exercise. The whole the whole philosophy behind the exercise is that it's a moving meditation and we do a lot of breathing, we do a lot of just just undoing effort cuz you know people want to show you how hard they're working out so that story of the self becomes it's like, look at me, I'm working so hard. No. So when we work, when we exercise, transcend past, past the effort, past the pain. And you realize, oh my God, I can do so much more when I'm out of this story that's limiting what I think I can do. And we're incorporating Quadrifit into the docuseries, Saving the Apes with Proceeds and everything. I'm really excited about it. And now it's time for the five questions. If I were to walk into your closet, is there a piece of clothing or something special in that closet that will be with you forever? You will never get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Nope. I try not to, you know, there's nothing in my closet except for, well, Rhonda's rocket jacket, her leather rocket jacket. Oh. I don't ever want to get rid of that. Okay. That's yeah. Cause it's, it, I remember her having that and she was very, very proud of having that jacket. And it was That's- like- True non-attachment. You're not attached to anything for yourself, but you're attached to something of hers. That's really beautiful. Uh, Terry, do you have a nickname? Who gave it to you and why? Uh, my my nickname from my mother. This is really embarrassing. Tear, tear, doo-doo. <laughs> tear, tear, doo-doo. Tear, <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad one. I know. But my nickname in, in college was Turbo. Okay. Uh, Those are so different. Now I need to know yeah. the why. Is the doo-doo because there would be a lots of doo-doo all over? She knew it bugged me. She knew it bugged me. Oh, okay. It was like, oh, dear, dear, doo-doo. She's pushing your buttons. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's and it. Turbo, why was Sorry. Turbo? Turbo was, oh, I used to do high bar really fast. And then my friend goes, Turbo, Turbo Jets. <laughs> and it stuck ever since. It, it was fits just, you. I, no one ever called me Terry Servo. Yeah, it fits you. Okay. Turbo. Yeah. If you could wake up tomorrow morning with any ability, what would it be? Hmm. I would love to fly. I would love to be able to fly. I fly in dreams all the time. Mm. And it just feels so good to fly. If you could speak to your teenage self, what would you tell him? Mm, relax. Don't worry about anything. You're, you're going to be good. It'll all make sense. Mm. When you get a little bit older, stop rushing. Stop trying. Turbo. Turbo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be and what would the cheeky little name be? Oh my God. That's <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. Okay. Let me think about that. I would like to be royal blue and call it lion's mane. Sounds like a lion we would see in Avatar. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, this has been so great. I can't, again, the hour went by in a flash yeah. because we were in it. Yeah. You just brought us yeah. right in. You put our minds in a hammock and then we were in it. That's great. Thank you Thank so you. much. <laughs> on. It was illuminating, truly. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after this break? Y'all. Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy, they do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. You can tell he is passionate about teaching because that's what he wanted to share. You know, we base this podcast on don't just talk about, you know, your resume and your acting experiences. Tell us about your your point of view. Tell us about your understanding of the world because you are an artist. And he jumped right in with that. That's just who he is. I mean, I wanted to point out it was so it was so incredible when I asked him how it all started for him. The story behind that with him just showing up on set, seeing a vacuum that needed to be filled, jumping in just out of because he's in the flow, because he likes to share, because that's just who he is Mm -hmm. and just giving of himself. And then that turned into this whole like career that was invented Mm -hmm. pretty much Mm -hmm. for him. And And had he gone in with what we were talking about with the sports, had he gone on that set with the intention to to be noticed and be the best and get the trophy, it wouldn't have happened. It Mm -mm. happened because of the genuine generosity of spirit that he embodies. And then it was noticed and it turned into a career. I think that's 
such an important lesson. Such an important lesson. I also found it, um, if I was an armchair therapist, you know, he mentioned that playing King Kong, he looked at it from a 14 year old boy. And I, even before he said that, I felt like I was speaking, even though his words and his experience and all that was very smart and tons of intuition and experience. There was a 14 year old boy on our on our Zoom meeting today, right? Because his, his energy was youthful yeah. when he would be himself and then take on the, the form <laughs> and the voice of the actors that he's teaching. He would go into this place of a real, like, you know, yeah. young teenager. Yeah. So it, there were times too where his, his vocal quality sounded a lot like Ron Howard, who has a very youthful yes. vocal quality. Yes, for sure. Then when he was talking about how you hit that flow, you know how you just drop into that flow? I remember in high school, I was trying out for the swim team and I really, I had always swam. I mean, we had a pool and stuff and I was always in the water as a kid. My, I grew up swimming off of my dad's fishing boats and stuff. So swimming was easy for me, but I dove in and he told me to do the breaststroke and I was like, all right. And I dove in and I hit this, I don't know what it was and I don't know how I hit it, but I hit this rhythm. I've talked about this a lot to my husband. He's like, it's funny. You bring this up a lot. I'm like, because I think I've always searched for that rhythm since I hit this rhythm where I literally flew to the end of the pool. Like I I flew. And when I got to the end and popped up, I remember all of their faces. They were like, oh my God, we've just discovered like this amazing swim champion. And I was shocked. I thought, huh. And I never found it again. And again, you were recognized and it was so easy for you in the moment. You weren't trying to make anything happen. It just happened. And and I've I've had those moments on stage as well, where I just get swept in. Something else takes over and you just do. But in a physical way, in that swimming pool, because attention was drawn to it, I then, like the moment with him trying to recapture what he found in the chimp's eyes, could not recapture it. And interestingly enough, I ended up leaving. I quit the swim team. Because you kept searching for that one moment where it was flow and rhythm. and Or I started to get too close to something that was scary to me. Yeah, that's what I really think it was. I think I was too young to understand what that connection was. So I ran away from it and I quit the swim team. Wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. That is interesting. It came up when he talked about that chimp because that moment when he saw that the chimp saw something in him, he disappeared into it. And I was like, well, I, I totally understand that. Is that a form of self-sabotage or no? Oh, I think so. Not, yeah. not necessarily self-sabotage, but fear, the fear of our own innate power. You know that huh. Marianne Williamson poem that what we fear most isn't being inadequate, it's letting our light shine? I mean, that's, that's not the poem. That's me putting the lovely poem in a nutshell, but um, it's that. We're going to put that on a link. So everybody go to the links and we will make sure. (laughs) Not what I just did to it, but there there is that, that thing where we're most afraid of not being powerless, but being powerful. You are enough. You are so enough that it's almost scary. Exactly. Exactly. That was um, such a fun interview. He I, I want to go I to have, California to take that class, just, just to take it. 
I want to be on a set. I mean, self, yes, I do want to take a class, but I've always, when I watch these movies, because in stage, even in rehearsals, right? We got all sorts of props and the first day of rehearsal when you're creating a Broadway show, the creatives and designers will come on and they'll show you your whole palette for your costume and the trajectory of the colors and and where the costumes are informing your character. And then you see this wonderful um, mini model of the set. Like it's all there for you. So when you start rehearsal, you do have that inkling of what the designs are going to look like. Here, when you walk into a massive soundstage and there's just kind of nothing to create magic in that, while That's wearing wonder- that suit with all the little electro thingies on it. Like, he used the particular, you- he did use the term and I'm going to have to look it up, but yeah, yeah it's that the name of the suit. He said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you just think, I watched the movie, the magic is all there. It's completely believable. I know some of it is CGI and some of it is truly a human transforming in the moment, but I just would love to sit there and watch and go, holy cow, you are making something literally out of nothing. And I think mm-hmm. that's where I was going with the the committing, the commitment to embodying a character to such an extent that you never question in the midst of creating that art. Because again, as soon as you question, the, the bottom drops out and the magic is gone you and you've lost, you've yeah. lost that flow or that rhythm. Yeah. That's remarkable to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would think you'd feel so foolish, you know, but- uh, yeah. Thing. You got to just drop in, drop in, just do it, commit, commit. And you know, now a story just popped in my head. When I was doing Boy From Oz, working with Hugh Jackman, he was talking about um, his acting school and that one of his finals were, was one of his finals were, was? <laughs> one of his finals was. One of his finals was. Um, to pick an animal. I think he picked like a prairie dog or something like that, which when you look at him standing at 6'2", and just you would think he would choose a much more quote unquote powerful animal, you know, something on top of the pecking order, (laughs) but he chose a prairie dog and it made me laugh, but love him all the same because he did say, he was like, we had to go there. There was no pretending to be. It was becoming a prairie dog. And the 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 passion with which he was even telling the story about this final, I could tell that what he had invested had also stayed with him for so long and probably allowed him that sort of freedom and yeah. accepting of being whatever, whenever, however, and believing in it. Yeah, so funny. Anyway, this was a blast. I really loved it. Me too. All right. I'll meet you in California. We're signing up. We're going to get those arm extensions and we're going to go cross the midline of the body and take Terry's class. Me and you. I'm going to shake your hand and hold your brain in a hammock, little lady. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Hi, everybody. Next week, Stephanie and I are taking the holiday weekend, so we will not have a new episode, but it is a great time for you to go back and catch up on any episodes that you might have missed. We wish you all a very happy, restful, peaceful holiday with family and friends and people you love, and we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody.
So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music, Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo, Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer, and Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. 